0: Thank you, Kristen. Come now, fount of every blessing. blessing. Thank you for playing that for us, food for the soul. If you have little ones through grade six, actually, if you'd like for them to be a part of a uh, graded uh, child service downstairs, you can uh, dismiss them at this time. If you'd like them to stay with you, we love kids, and we'd love for them to be up here, too. You're welcome to do as you prefer, parents, and uh, you will meet their teachers in the foyer, and you can make sure you pick them up downstairs in their classes when we're all done. For those you who are staying up here, take your Bible. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Will you do that? If you've been with us a little while, you know that we are working verse by verse through these two books, 1 and 2 Corinthians. We've titled this whole series in 1 and 2 Corinthians, God's Plan for a Healthy Church, uh, a study through the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. If you've read 1 and 2 Corinthians, you recognize that Uh, We've put a positive spin on that book. It doesn't seem like it would be positive, but it is very positive as the Lord understands the trouble that comes to the local church and by His Holy Spirit drew Paul along to address some of the issues that tend to uh, rise up inside the church. In particular, we're nearly halfway through chapter 3 and we have moved through the middle point of Paul's first stop and God's plans for a healthy church and that focus has been on unity. And we saw last week in Paul's diagnosis of the disease of division, this passage is really loaded with important details regarding the Christian life. And so to preserve our time together, let's read chapter 3. We'll start in verse 10 and we'll go through verse 17. So just take your Bible and we'll pick up there. I'll give you verse cues as I did earlier during scripture reading time so we can stay together in whatever version you may have. Starting at verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let's stop right there. As we read that passage, I think it could be easy to think that this portion of scripture we've just read is not attached to the previous section dealing with the disease of division. It seems to stand on its own, and it certainly can do that. It can stand on its own all by itself. But remember, as we were looking now, if you've been with us, we'll give a little bit of review, which is our our habit. As Paul's diagnosing this disease of division, he said, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, just look there in your copy of God's Word and we'll just give a little overview. Paul said this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He's following up with uh, his diagnosis of this disease of division and what it looks like Uh, there amongst them, and some of the problems there, which are their fleshliness and worldliness. In verse 2, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. So the cause of the disease, uh, they were fleshly. And we saw that every believer, uh, as he talks, he says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual men. We saw that every believer is positionally spiritual. uh, But not every believer is practically spiritual. Spiritual. And if he or she is not practically spiritual, then they're fleshly and acting like a person who isn't born again. And we made that connection the last couple of weeks, and if you've missed that, you can connect online and, and get caught up. And we saw as well, if a believer is acting in a fleshly manner long enough, and we saw this last week, they stunt their spiritual growth and can become what James calls a forgetful hearer. So to this Corinthian church had been taught so much by Paul and Apollos and some by Peter and some by Jesus by their own admission, uh, because of their fleshliness and their worldliness, Paul says, in essence, you have regressed. I had to give you milk at first, but you people know too much to be treated this way. I'm still having to treat you as babes. Even after all this time, he says, I'm still giving you milk. And so he says to the Corinthian church, he says, I have to talk to you as if you were untaught, as if you were unskilled, that's the word for infant, uh, because that's how you're acting. And we saw that in, in summarizing, all that, summarizing all that together. Spiritual ignorance and fleshliness are tied inseparably together. Wherever you have a spiritual ignorance, wherever you have an infant-like behavior in the church, it's always tied to fleshliness, and Paul makes that case very clearly, and we cross-referenced that so we knew that we were cutting that correctly. So here are these people. In their fleshliness, they had absolutely voided the things that they were hearing. They were involved in faction. That's the whole reason why Paul's bringing this to light. It's a unity issue. They were involved in backbiting and gossip, and they thought they were right, and they didn't even have the receptivity to take in Paul's instruction because they had started moving backwards. They were a forgetful hearer. They had Apollos' instruction, of course, after Paul, and Apollos was uh, counted in the Scriptures to be eloquent in the Word of God, mighty in the Scriptures. So they had all this teaching, and yet they weren't able to receive what Paul was saying. And so uh, Paul goes on to show them uh, the symptoms of division, jealousy and strife. If those are there in the church, he says, then that's what you have. Uh, You have jealousy and strife. You have uh, division in the church. That's a sin. He says, don't do it. And the solution, eye off the man, eye back on the Lord. And we saw that last time. And we won't go through that again. But the danger, of course, is always, uh, as Paul moves into this sex- next section uh, with fleshly people is they can't or they refuse to comprehend clear teaching. Uh, so Paul's been giving them clear teaching. Obviously, he was there for 18 months. Uh, Apollos is there at least four years uh, after Paul. And so they have this clear teaching. And uh, the, the problem with that is if you're fleshly, you're not going to comprehend it. Uh, Paul spent a year and a half with them. Paul has spent with them four years. Paul still had to treat them like they were new believers, still had to give them milk, even though that's what they gave them at the beginning. Still was giving them that. Uh, so not, no doubt there are some who are not going to see their reflection as fleshly. Even after all Paul has done, even after all he's pointed out, they're going to look in the mirror. They're not going to remember that they're fleshly. They're going to walk away still thinking they're right. And there will be arguments about who's right. And they're arrogant and they're so focused on themselves. So I really think Paul uh, perhaps brings the focus on something that can perhaps be comprehended even by fleshly people. And that is this idea of reward, which is the focus of this whole section. The idea of reward. And we who have children know that reward is sometimes useful in, in confirming proper behavior. And of course, I won't miss this opportunity to confirm that. Biblical discipline that includes corporal punishment is also a major factor in determining proper behavior. And so both of those together, as Scripture teaches those, but even a young child can learn to look forward to positive reinforcement. And so perhaps this is Paul's thinking, a simple motivation, verses 10 through 17, uh, to motivate them to do uh, what is needed. But as he moves into this section, Paul's saying here, there's going to come a time when all the works of all believers will be subject to a test by fire to determine whether they're worthy of reward. And he says that, I think, for people to understand there at Corinth, apart from what they may think about their Christian life, apart from their opinions about themselves, there's going to come a time for an objective judgment on how you spent your life. Whatever the background, and this should become a very, very important uh, concept to every believer. And so Paul uses it here in Corinth, but it becomes very uh, important for all of us. It's a reality for the future of every believer. And no doubt the Holy Spirit carries Paul along here in order that each believer Uh, may prepare himself or herself for that coming event. And so it's very clear Paul teaches it. It's not the only place he's going to teach it. And we're going to just kind of touch on some of those other things. Now, one of the greatest motivating forces in Paul's life is this very truth, that Jesus uh, was coming back, and that when he came back, it was going to be a time of reward. Uh, Paul's going to talk about it directly two times in these two letters. Uh, Of course, the one that we just read just a moment ago, and again, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says this he says therefore we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad now as you just a cursory reading you recognize he's talking about the same time okay uh, he's using some different phrases to help us understand a little broader understanding of it. But he's talking about at the same time. Two principles here you can pick up from Paul. And you can put these in your notes if they're helpful for you. He says, number one, we want to labor in such a way that we please the Lord. That's a principle for us. We understand that to be true. Uh, that is the desire, I think, for every true believer. And uh, number two, Christ's judgment is coming. And he's going to evaluate our work and recompense us for that work. Two basic principles to live by. Those things should motivate us. It motivated Paul. Just a simple place, I think, in Acts where we can see the basic principles again. The disciples are asking Jesus if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Acts 1.7, here's what happens. He says to them, It's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so, just pausing right there, he gives them... And every other believer after them, their marching orders. A fifth recorded time in the in the scriptures. And then verse 9 he says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. So, pause right there, during that time he he must have vanished into a cloud. In fact, that's what scripture says. He went out of their sight and they're standing there looking upward and obviously a little longer perhaps than they should have. And They don't recognize that two guys are now standing beside them. And here's what they say. They said to him, they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now maybe you haven't put that together. But I I came away with this. This It's a very important principle and it's an applied meeting from from the angels, obviously. It's not clear. Here it is. Jesus is coming and he's coming to reward those who faithfully served him. So get busy. He's coming back. I mean, you watched him go and he's going to come back in the same way. And he just gave you marching orders. So get rolling. Don't stand up there looking at the sky. Don't build an altar right here and come back here and worship every day. Just go. Okay. He's going to come back for sure. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, of course, we've talked about that numerous times. Paul encourages believers with this reality. You're going to be caught up to meet the Lord. Uh, Paul prepared himself for that. Uh, It wasn't that he wanted for himself all kinds of glory, all kinds of honor. Uh, It was that if he was going to be involved in anything, he was going to do it to the hilt because he understood that the Lord was going to come back and check. The attitude really illustrated very well 1 Corinthians 9.24. As Paul really tells his whole philosophy of ministry, he says this, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? He says, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. And the principle, if you're a believer, do it with all your effort. It is expressed to those who've been made righteous in Romans 12, Romans 12, It says this, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we just went through that just a few moments ago in our Be the Church class. Part of what it looks like to be a believer in the church is illustrated for us once Paul hits Romans 12. And after he gets through the spiritual gifts in verse 8, he goes to verse 9, and then you just have all these things that are trademarks of a spirit-controlled life. What does it look like in the church? Well, part of your ministry is going to be Diligent ministry, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Don't be lacking in diligence, he says. Paul's just this, if I'm going to run a race, I'm going to run to win. I'm going to run with one thing in mind, and that's to be successful at it. And in serving, he told the church at Rome, be diligent, be fervent. Paul knew the truth spoken by Jesus, Revelation 22, 12. Uh, It says, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Paul understood that principle. John expresses it to us as Jesus has told him. So Paul says to the believers in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 and through 9, you can look there in your uh, copy of God's word, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? Verse five, what then is Apollos, and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? Verse six, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. He's saying, listen, there's no reason for you to have this faction going on. It just reveals your worldliness and your fleshliness. And beyond all of that, there's no excuse for having this guy does it better attitude or I like this better than that. And this guy's the greatest and this way of doing ministry is the best attitude because, verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The Lord's evaluating all of that. God's the one who's going to judge that. And he'll give the reward, and he'll put his stamp of approval and give out his opinion at a later time based on qualifications that he's already set up. And not only that, Paul says he's going to evaluate all of it, which is the whole reason for verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. And then he says, and you are God's field and God's building. And then verse 13 he says, and every, each man, or every man's work, will become evident. So, pretty broad scope there. Now, as you think about that, think about this. There, there are many judgments in Scripture. And I'm not listing all of them, as we could parse them all out, but I'm going to give you a, a good cross-section that will cover the majority of those things, and there will be some other things I think you can add to it as you study. But the Scriptures talk about the judgment of Israel. And there are numerous places both in both times past and in time of the future listed in the scripture for us concerning Israel. Uh, we also see the judgment of the enemies of Israel. We see uh, the scripture talks about the judgment of sin on the cross. And we understand all that go- went on there. And 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one, we see we're supposed to judge ourselves when we come to the table so we can avoid being disciplined by God. So in, in, a, in some respects, there's a self-judgment that's supposed to be going on, an evaluation accurately of our own actions in light of what we see in the in scripture. We have the seals, trumpets, and bold judgments poured out on the earth during the seven year tribulation time when the church is no longer on the earth and with the Lord. We see that there in scripture. We see the scripture speaking about the judgment of nations from Matthew 25 that comes at the end of the seven year tribulation period. Those some will come to faith and they'll be judged uh, correctly and, and given an eternal home and some will not and they'll be judged correctly. And Revelation 20 talks about the judgment of the unsaved uh, the Great White Throne Judgment that's going to occur, and of course the judgment that we're looking at now—the judgment of the believer's works, or uh, otherwise known as the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ—and we'll talk about all that on those words in the future. But there's coming a day when we will be judged on the basis of what we've done. Now we know who the judge is uh, because John 5:22 says, uh, "For even uh, the Father judges; uh, for not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment. He says to the Son." So Jesus is the judge, and that's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 2 Corinthians 5, both refer to it in those terms, actually. And now, we know the purpose of the judgment, because Romans fourteen twelve tells us the purpose. So then it says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Everybody gives an account. 2 Corinthians five ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, there it is, uh, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, as a footnote, and I know you already know this, but when we read that passage, we're not talking about Peter, St. Peter sitting at the gate, and you, know, you have to tell all your qualifications for him to say okay, and he opens the gate and lets you in, okay? Which is the typical cartoon that we see concerning, you know, all right, are you fit for heaven? Are you gonna be able to come in? And it's obviously not that. Good deeds, bad deeds all weighed out. Now you can come in or you can't, and no lawyers allowed, and no ACLU and all that stuff. Not, not any of that, okay? And I say that just to poke fun, okay? The reality of heaven is this, okay? Philippians 3.20 tells us, for our citizenship is in heaven, okay, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So mark this, beloved. uh, There isn't any future judgment to see whether or not you get into heaven or not, okay, if you're a believer. Your faith in Christ has already sealed that. You're already counted as a citizen of heaven, all right? So this judgment seat's not going to determine whether or not you end up in heaven. The fact that you're having it, it's already stated that you're going to be in heaven, it's only for those who believe, okay? So, again, as a footnote, some say perhaps the judgment seat of Christ is to punish believers for sins they've committed after they were saved. And my response to that is if that were true, we would be spending a good portion of the eternal state doing just that, okay? So, that's not, that's, I don't think that's a biblical way to look at it. I'll show you in just a few minutes. And the fact of the matter is, according to Colossians chapter 2, just some encouragement to you, As If perhaps you're thinking that this is a judgment for sin and you haven't recognized the judgment that occurred on the cross, Colossians 2.13 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you were unredeemed, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, all of them, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, whatever these may be, Okay, whether they're known by men or unknown, whether they're known by you or unknown, they're canceled which was hostile to us. Yes, that's a marvelous way to put that they were death to us. Hostile to us, and perhaps even hostile to your mental state now, if you haven't understood all this, as you think about your past and all that's occurred. If you've come to faith in Christ, you recognize, I think you need to recognize this passage here, beloved, all those those things that were hostile to you. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them. All those who had right to you, once he claimed you, had no right to you. And he embarrassed them. He triumphed over them through him. So remember this, all your sin was future when he died on the cross. All right, so there's not a a judgment for all the sins you committed after you came to be a believer. He just packed them all up and he took them to the cross, and he bore them all, and you will never be condemned. And that's a very important principle that you need to remember as you think about this judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 8, one and two, therefore there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. The more powerful law overruled the less powerful law. And in Romans 8, 33 and 34, just so that you understand God's heart and the whole matter, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. What's the rhetorical answer? Nobody can. Okay, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. The only ones that can are the ones that won't. Okay? God's already declared us righteous, and Jesus is the judge, and he's the one who gave his life for you. So, Important things to keep in mind as we think about the judgment seat of Christ. There aren't any sins for which we will have to pay. They've all been paid. Now, back to chapter 3. Let's look at the judgment as it appears here. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.10, if you would. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Now, as Paul introduces this topic, this... this, uh, motivation obviously Paul is starting with the leaders that have been mentioned in the factions in Corinth obviously that's the first target and now here Paul introduces us to himself and he says he's the master builder the wise one at that he's the guy who went around and started the churches in fact he wrote to the Romans I didn't go to certain places because I didn't want to build over anybody else's foundation he strictly wanted to go where Christ was not named and there he would win people to Christ and he would teach at first the milk of the word uh, basic doctrine he would establish the foundation on Christ and in Corinth when he came there those folks to whom he's writing he stayed 18 months Ephesus he stayed three years Thessalonica he stayed less than a month because the Spirit of God uh, did a faster work there and as you read through uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians you understand what's going on there considering how less of time Paul spent it's amazing what the Lord did now Paul says according to the grace of God which was given to me now Keep in mind, Paul's not saying he's the most important one. That would just exacerbate the problem, wouldn't it? Because already there's some argument about who does it right and who doesn't do it right. All he's saying is this. I, I did only what I did because God was gracious enough to commit that ministry to me. That's all. I don't claim anything. It's very common for Paul, actually. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 3.7, he said, So then uh, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. And Paul planted and watered. Then Apollos came along and watered. And we're not anything, he said but God who causes the growth. And so when he says, according to the grace of God, grace just means undeserved favor. It was God in me. God was operating. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, he speaks about his ministry to the Gentiles. He says this, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, he says, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He follows that up, Colossians chapter 1, very similar language he says we proclaim him admonishing every man teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ for this purpose also I labor striving according to here it is his power uh, which mightily works in me Colossians it's his power work in me I couldn't do anything apart from his work in me Uh, in, in Ephesians it's his power God's grace given to me according to the working of his power There wouldn't be anything done in Ephesus. There would have been anything done in Colossians, nothing done in Thessalonica, nothing done in Rome, nothing done in Corinth, apart from the grace given to him. Paul's not claiming anything special, just says the Lord's at work. And we kind of confirmed that last time. It's just the Lord. If anything good happens, it's the Lord doing it, okay? And so very important. So he's saying, by God's grace, you know, I'm not the greatest because I laid the foundation and everybody else only adds to what I've done. You know, God's at work in me. He's not taking any credit for that, okay? He's just saying, by God's grace, I've laid it. God brought me to Corinth, I preached Christ, you were saved, the church was begun, 18 months I gave you sound doctrine, I'm a wise builder by grace and grace alone, if it were not for God's grace, I'd still be a persecuting blasphemer, okay, as Timothy says, as he says to Timothy. So, back to verse 1, according to the grace of God which is given to me like a wise master builder, and those are, there's a couple words there that are important, The first one is sophos, that's uh, the word wise. Architectone, that's a master builder. Let's look at both of them. Sophos, literally, means skillful. It's an adjective. Paul was skillful, so he knew what he was doing. He just says, listen, by God's grace, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to labor to get it done. Uh, In the book of Acts, we see that he went into a town and approached the synagogue. He tried to win the Jews to Christ. He got a few Jewish converts, and he began to move into the Gentile community. And win them to Christ. We see this over and over with Paul's life. Uh, of course, as often as not, after that he would usually be stoned or flogged or dragged into the city center or put in a basket, and let down over a wall, or whatever happened as a result of his being bold and faithful to do these things. But that didn't stop him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't afraid to do it. And when he built a building, his building was solid and abiding. architectone now, master builder, as uh, compound now really doesn't simply mean architect. There's another word in the Greek that just says architect, somebody who makes a plan. But this word really is somebody who draws a plan and builds the building. Today you'd think of it as if you were an a, 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 a architect builder. He was a planner and a strategist. He, he put the plan together and then put the plan to work. He didn't just plan the work, he says. So like a wise master builder, he says, I laid the foundation, and another is building on it. And just as a footnote, uh, that's uh, from the Greek verb tithemi, the laid, uh, there were no uninvolved strategists in the New Testament era, okay? Uh, no uh, church growth experts that are kind of sitting behind their desk and you know, figuring out what you need to do and then go and do that, all right? Um, uh, in the New Testament, you don't find anybody manning the home office, if you will. I mean, uh, there's no big convention and, and everybody's here and then a few people are going out. Everybody's going out and doing it. And Paul knows what he's going to do and he does it and it stands. That's all he's saying, by the Lord's grace. Now, that tithemi uh, verb, that laid verb, is aorist active indicative. And that's important for us, okay? Here it is. It's laid in the past, continuing results till now. The apostles and prophets did this work. We don't need a new foundation, okay? That foundation's already been laid. And then he says, I laid a foundation, and then he says, and another is building on it. So in the case of Corinth, the next guy was Apollos. And Apollos built on what Paul had begun, and Apollos was followed by others, and all the believers really were part of it because he says at the end of verse 10, each man, okay, must be careful how he builds on it. Epoikodomeo, meo build. We see build two different places. I've laid the foundation of this building. Each man may be careful how he builds on it. That's present, active, indicative. That is a very important verb as well. Whereas the foundation's already been laid, there's continuing results, the building is still going on now. Okay? And so Paul says, listen, we're building on what's already been done. The word for building is in the present tense, so it's our responsibility to continue to build, and another continually builds on it, Paul says the foundation's been laid, and we're building on that foundation. And that's very important for the judgment, okay? And, and how the Lord is going to evaluate all those who are believers. And so Paul makes it clear then from 1 Corinthians 3, there's this dynamic of the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to see, he will build on this understanding. This one that we just saw right here in 2 Corinthians 5. But here Paul says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now just this note. Some people would like to restrict this passage only to pastors or evangelists or teachers. And they would look at that and they would say okay, you know it's referring to just us and in a primary sense of I think considering that Paul's dealing with division in the church. centered around criticism and preference and, and all of that about who, those who lead the church. Certainly an initial focus on those in that position would be accurate. They are the ones, uh, in the truest sense, who are building the structure and planting or watering. And the church is considered the building and the field from verse nine. But each man, he says, must be careful how he builds on it in verse 10. Now it gets a little broader there, doesn't it? And then in verse 13, he says, each man's work will become evident. And then he says in uh, the end of verse 13, he says, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And then that last, uh, verse 14, the beginning of verse 15, it says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Now, if you take all of that, and then you take 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul's audience is obviously the whole church, and he says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You have to take the passage then, in light of the other things that we saw, especially in Romans chapter 11 and some other places where we looked at all these actions and deeds, I mean Romans 13 rather, where we looked at actions and deeds and all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and recognize that it has to be broad enough to include every believer. It certainly is as its focus here in 1 Corinthians 3, those who lead the church, but it broadens out pretty fast. And so everyone is here in this judgment at some point Uh, Although all of us are not at the same degree of building on that apostolic foundation, we're all building on it because every one of us has a ministry. And everyone is involved inside the church giving their spiritual gifts and seeing this kingdom built. And so every one of us has a ministry based on the foundation that's been laid. And so we have to be careful then what we lay on top of it. So here Paul says, just to sum up, kind of jump ahead a little bit for next week. um, All believers are building a spiritual building. Very important and they're building that building out of certain materials. I think we can capture that, and Paul lists them off, and we're going to look at those uh, next time. And there's coming a fiery, fiery test, and the fire uh, will be applied to their building, and only what is left will be rewarded. And so it is about reward, but it's about reward for the truth. It's about reward for, and we're going to see the type of work that's done, for the attitude brought to bear in the work that's done, for uh, the motivation for the work that's done uh, since you've become a believer. And so all those things those building materials become part of representative of the things that we just talked about and then Paul says there'll be a fire brought to it to test it and what remains then will be rewarded. And so it's a marvelous thing to think about and good to know in advance. It's good the Lord put it in there. And then we didn't show up then at the judgment seat of Christ and we're like what were the qualif- you know what do we have to know? And it's too late to do anything about it at that point. And so Paul... Uh, Paul makes it clear here as the Holy Spirit carries them along. It's very important that he's bringing it in at this point because if, if they don't understand anything else about his teaching and if they spent 18 months under Paul's careful, I mean, you can imagine being under Paul's teaching for 18 months and how much he would cover. I mean, he's covered a lot of stuff, right? Unlike me, which, you know, I can't even get through my own sermon in one, you know, in an hour. Now, Paul's covered a lot of stuff, all right? And so uh, there'd be a lot of teaching going on. And then Apollos comes. He's mighty in the scriptures and eloquent and easy to listen to. So a lot of stuff to answer for. And so they understand a lot uh, and should understand a lot, but they have become forgetful hearers and they're infantile in the way they react to one another. And so Paul just brings something in here that everybody's going to grab a hold of. And what is it? It's, hey, there's going to be a reward at the end of this. And there's going to be a judgment that's going to kind of burn away the dross and whatever you may think about yourself and whatever opinion you may have, it's all going to become under this, uh, this judgment that's going to be uh, very clear and it's just going to cut away all, stuff, all, all the stuff, all the stuff that we're going to see Uh, Later, all the stuff that's in shadow, everything that's not clear right now, all will be revealed and tested, and only what's true remains. So, building out of certain materials, it's going to be this fiery test. It doesn't have anything to do with punishment or judgment for sin. It has to do with reward, with what remains. Only with what remains. And that's what really verse 15 confirms. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. It says this. It says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so Paul just says, listen, that test is gonna be real and there's gonna be stuff absent when you get all done depending on what it was. And so you get to this judgment seat, there's gonna be a lot of people, once again I'm summing up because we're gonna really get into this next week. You get to this judgment seat, there's gonna be a lot of people surprised at what's left after the test, okay? on both ends of the scale I think. Some people are gonna think that they've really made a great contribution and they're not gonna have anything left after the fire passes over. It's all going to be gone. Why? Because it was done with wrong motivation, with wrong thoughts, uh, whatever it was. Okay, we're going to look at that. And uh, verse 15 indicates he'll suffer loss uh, because what kind of work they did is what's important and what the motivation was behind it. And if you've been through, you know, the idea of a house fire, if, if you've been through a house fire, you know someone who has. Uh, sometimes that consumes everything so that the total of a life's work uh, is all consumed. Of course, if you weren't home, the, uh, the home was burned, but you're alive but you have the clothes on your back and that's the idea that's the general illustration we'll sharpen it up as we get further in but that's the idea Um, it wasn't of the right materials so this judgment comes it burns all the right uh, things that were not the right materials up and that's all consumed and some saints then on the other side of it they're going to get to the end uh, and and they're going to have their greatest reward and they may be people under the radar they may be people you don't even you don't even think about when you think about church. There may be people who are just kind of doing their thing and have been doing their thing for a long time and they're always meeting needs, they're using their spiritual gifts, they're doing a bunch of stuff and connecting and all of that stuff, and after the, after the test gets all finished, some, most, or maybe everything it's going to remain, and that remains for eternity, and the Lord rewards that. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Uh, temporary things aren't going to last, and they're not going to make it into eternity, but the things that were of the right kind, the Lord rewards, and you'll get to glorify him forever with those kinds of things. And that's a great motivation for us to think about as we think about how we spend our time and our resources and what we do with what we have. So there's this reward from the Lord as a result of that test. And whatever is left, the Lord recognizes that, that's the true stuff, and then he rewards it. And I really truly think 1 Corinthians four, one through six, really speaking of the same issue, a primary focus on pastors and teachers, but a broader application in verses 5 and 6. So I'd like you to, if you would, in just the time remaining, I want to comment on this. And we're going to get to it, obviously, in just a few weeks. But First Corinthians 4, 1. Flip over there, if you would, briefly. And this is, this is a great, uh, that's a marvelous marvelous thing here. It says this. Beginning of verse 1, chapter 4, let a, let a man, right there. Let a man regard us in this manner. So Paul recognizes, and we're still in this issue of factions, we're still in this issue of unity as we get to chapter 4, we're going to close it out at the end of chapter 4. But Paul says, listen, look, look, everything I've talked to you about, regard us in this manner. So Paul right away makes it clear. Initially, yes, this application is for Paul, it's for Apollos, it's for Cephas, it's for those who said they heard Jesus' teaching, it's whatever, okay? all Regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, verse 2, moreover, it's required of stewards that that one be found trustworthy. So in general, you know, pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles are stewards and a steward is to tell the truth and and that's what I'm doing, Paul says. Uh, I'm truthful, I'm trustworthy. You can believe what I say, okay? They should be found that way. I'm telling you the truth, okay? But whether you think I am or not, uh, I am. And that's the point of verse three, okay? Uh, But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. Paul says, listen, the fact that you don't think I'm telling you the truth, is really ultimately irrelevant for me because I'm not really being examined by you or any other human court. And he says, in fact, I don't even examine myself. Why is that, Paul? Not because I'm, you're so good, right? Because you, you never sin or whatever, no. He just says, for I'm, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. He says, just because I don't know if I've done something wrong, it doesn't automatically get me off the hook, okay? I, it, may be, it may be close to me. I may not be able to see it. It may be one of those types of things that is uh, camouflaged in my life. Verse 5, then he, then he gets right to the point. He says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before time. In other words, as you look at Pauls, you look at Apollos, look at Cephas, he's talking about regardless in this manner, don't go judging it before time. This has to do with building, with ministry, with the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, same topic. Okay. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things, here it is, hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. That's some of the kind of building and how it's judged. What's the motive? What did you do it for? Why were you motivated to do it? Why, and what kind of heart attitude did you accomplish it? Okay? These are the things the Lord takes a look at. These are the things that men can't see. So he says, listen, whether or not you find me guilty or not, that's irrelevant to me. Whether I, I'm not going to put myself under a human court. And not only that, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, but that doesn't mean I'm not guilty of something. Just says, listen, as it comes to ministry, as it comes to how I've discharged ministry, bottom line is this the Lord's going to come. He's got his own objective way to figure it out. He's going to take this fire. He's going to burn all this stuff, and some of this stuff is going to burn up, and some's going to be left. And whatever's left, that's what he's going to reward. So Paul says, listen, instead of debating, instead of factions, instead of backbiting, it, and I wish it was this way, and I want it to be this way, and I like how this guy does it, leave all that to the Lord, he says. Because he's going to bring out all the things hidden in darkness, so everything that was done and what the motivation was for doing it, and disclose all the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So God's going to sort it all out. Don't run ahead of God and try to evaluate everything. You can't do that. You don't have the perspective, he says. You don't know whether a man's ministry is all it ought to be or not. Only God knows that. You say, but you know, it looks good on the outside, or, or it looks shabby on the outside. Well, those aren't the criteria, now, are they? Now look at verse 5 again. Therefore... Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness, disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man will receive each man's praise will come to him from God. And there you can get the idea, beloved, and keep this in mind. Okay? Maybe God is a lot more concerned with motive than he is with actual deed. Just like he was more concerned with labor than he was with success. In verse eight, okay? Each man will give a reward from his own labor, right? Not whether or not the world thought he was successful, not whether or not somebody thought he was good. Whatever, okay? And so the idea then, the Lord's concerned with motives, that gives you a little bit of perspective on some of these things that the Lord's gonna weigh out, what, what kind of building material it was, what was the motive, and the labor, okay? Now look at verse six. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, mark this, okay? Now this is very important, Paul makes the connection here. These things, brethren, once again, softening the blow of the rebuke and connecting to them in an intimate way, you and I together, in this labor i have figuratively applied to myself and apollos for your sakes so in other words the first emphasis is on us as it should be because that's the whole point of the disunity okay so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written so the primary focus paul says was to apollos and i in our ministries but it's much broader than that there's obviously a much wider application here here it is so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. So just keep in mind, the same scale by which I'm going to be judged, Paul says, and Apollos, is the one that's going to be put on you as well. Okay, The same markers, the same measurements, all those things are going to be measured to your own life. So their pride, and he just brings that to task here, their worldly wisdom, their fleshliness, had led to all these issues so Paul just brings it to test. Listen, if you're doing it in fleshliness, if you're doing what you're doing in pride, if you're doing what you're doing in worldly wisdom, in arrogance, whatever it happens to be, listen, the Lord marks that all out. He understands what the motivations are and, and, the, and what's going on in the darkness of your own heart, and it's all going to come to light. Paul's make it, Paul says it's going to all be made clear, and the Lord will take care of all of that, see? Understand something, he says. There's an appointment with the court for every believer at the judgment seat of Christ, and at that point, All the motives and underlying issues will all be brought to a test of purity and then everything will be clear. Whatever remains, remains. And the way that will happen is revealed to us in a construction illustration. So look back quickly if you were to chapter 3, verse 11. And we'll just read these verses because we're out of time and and close uh, really, uh, we'll just do briefly and just comment on them and we'll close for next week because there's so much there and we'll try to take it on we're going to run out of time and then we'll be kind of left hanging. So look at verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Because he just got through saying, be careful how you build. Okay, now verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. So whatever it is, the day's going to show it. This day that he's talking about, this judgment seat of Christ, it's going to show, it's going to be evident. The is gonna show it because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Let's start right there, Paul uh, laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity, didn't he? What is it? Is it our ethics? Is it our morality? Is it the fact that we're kind to people? Philanthropic, we try to meet needs, you know? Are we nice, is that the foundation of niceness? We're gentle, we're loving, we take care of the poor, is that the foundation of Christianity? Um, What is the foundation of Christianity? Is it tradition? Is it the historical church? No. What is it? It's Jesus, it's Jesus Christ, it's the gospel. We can only build on the true doctrine of Christ. The foundation is Christ, Paul says. Uh, In that sense, the foundation is the whole of the word of God, and so apostolic doctrine was all about Christ, the whole New Testament is Christ. His life on earth, that's the gospels. Okay, Christ active in establishing the church, that's the book of Acts. Uh, The believer's life in the church, explained and directed, that's the epistles, something we're reading now. Uh, The book of Revelation is written to tell us that Christ is yet alive and is reigning and is going to return. So the revealed Christ is the foundation on which all building is to occur. We can't have a spiritual house built on the traditions of men. Okay, we can't have a spiritual house built on morality or on doing good to those less fortunate or or giving away what we have or self-righteousness. Okay, spiritual house is not built that way. The only foundation for corporate life, which is uh, the church, is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. And if that foundation goes, then everything else falls. If the foundation becomes doing good, if the foundation becomes uh, being open-minded with open hearts and open doors or whatever, uh, that the foundation goes. If it's not Jesus... And what he said, as he's revealed in the gospel, then the foundation crumbles. And the only foundation upon which man may build a fitting temple for God, beloved, is Jesus, and he is explained and demonstrated in the word of God, and being born again is the starting point. Okay. That's the starting point. And then look at verse 12, and then we're going to close with this. Now if any man builds on the foundation, so what's the foundation? That's Jesus, Okay. and salvation is the starting point. Okay? If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each man's work will become evident. So once the foundation is laid, and that assumes saving faith in this context, okay, so he's talking about those who are born again, because if you're not born again, you have another judgment coming, and it's the Great White Throne Judgment, okay, so this one won't apply to you. So saving faith is the starting point, and on top of that foundation, the materials used uh, for the building are placed. So how are we gonna build on the foundation of Christ? And this is going to help kind of springboard us into next week. Just picture in your mind, perhaps a foundation out there on this lot, and uh, the time span of your physical life is the opportunity that you have. You get a foundation. Uh, you were presented Christ. The Holy Spirit drew you. You came to faith. There's a foundation on the lot. All right. The time span is your life. You don't know how long the time span is going to be. Okay. But you're going to get busy building this spiritual house. Okay. And all there is is a foundation. You're going to build your life. There's only one foundation. And did you know that there are many materials that you could build with, okay? You could bring a lot of stuff out there. Some stuff is easy to come by and other stuff is harder to come by, okay? And if you're born again, yes, you have been building already. And you will be building until the Lord calls you home. And all of that's going to be tried by fire. That's where we're starting for next week, okay? And that's the issue. And now we're going to talk about all those building materials next week and really what they are, are connecting to you as we work our way through the New Testament, all right? It's a marvelous place to be, beloved. This is a great thing to understand. It's, it's so refreshing to me, again, to read it and to study it this week and to remind myself of the things that are most important and the ultimate uh, one who will call into account all of the way that my life has been lived and yours as well, uh, not for sin, not for judgment for sin or for punishment or rejection from the Lord, and no way is that corrupted. You are secure. But in order to under, help us understand the Lord, watches how we've lived our life. It's a marvelous place to be and uh, a great thing to know. The Lord cares about us enough to tell us in advance what's going to happen. Just bow and be dismissed in prayer if you would. Lord, we thank you today for a great opportunity to be with the saints. We particularly are grateful for your word. And for these passages uh, themselves, which seem to see so little daylight in the modern church today, uh, and we can just say from outcome that we live as if they don't exist. Uh, but Lord, we know that uh, you have measured all these things out, in the way that we use our resources, the way that we use our time, the things that we do. Perhaps we think we've built a great kingdom Uh, a great house for the future, and perhaps all those will be uh, demolished uh, when the fire is done. But perhaps there's others, Lord, that really have built correctly. They do understand this marvelous concept, and they understand you look at the motivations and thoughts of the heart as we do things. And Lord, I pray uh, that you continue to encourage them to be that model of what that looks like. And thank you that you have given us this instruction that's so clear for us, and we pray that we'll incorporate it. As we understand it, Lord, it is your desire. As we read your word, uh, what does it say? What does it mean by what it says? And how is that application applied to us? And Lord, I pray that we'll get those correct as we go through these passages. Lord, for the week, for this evening, and, and our Acts 246 fellowship, and the week to follow, with the midweek uh, Marine Bistro, midweek dinner, all the things that will go on there, Awana and the small groups that occur, Lord, I pray that you'll guide those who teach and lead. They might have your Holy Spirit guiding them, they, they might not quench your spirit in those things, but living in a life in such a way that you can use them in a mighty way for your own glory. And Lord, we give you praise for all those who do these things, for the many who work even now downstairs with our little ones. And I pray that you encourage them, Father, as they give themselves away and build up, uh, we pray, a, a kingdom, uh, a house, building the kingdom and building a house, a spiritual house, that stands the test of the fire. And for all these rich blessings on our life, the blessings of our family, for a place where we can live and stay and, and for jobs and all the things that you have supplied for us, wherever level they may be, we're grateful. Help us to be rich in good deeds. Help us to be ready to share. And Lord, uh, shine a great light on your son. Help us to work hard, Father, at our jobs, as Paul says to Timothy, not pilfering, but uh, working hard that we may adorn the gospel. We may look to make the gospel look great by the way that we work as Daniel did and as Joseph did. So these things, Lord, uh, above all things, we pray that will be about uh, the planting of seeds and of watering, that will be about the Great Commission, that we might, even now in our mind, picture people who need to know you but make a determined effort to make sure as you open the doors, we give them that gospel. For those who have loved ones who are, who are very sick, those who are far from you, uh, perhaps, and have rejected you, I pray an, a, another opportunity for them, uh, for a life in, on our part that models you well, uh, and for words to say that uh, give the gospel, clear gospel, with, uh, through your word to them, and that they might have ears to hear. We know it's not your will that any parish would all come to the knowledge of salvation, so we uh, agree together with you. We desire very much for them to be saved. Use us as you see fit, and we give you praise today. And all God's people said, Amen.